Okay, everybody, welcome to the next episode of the Bolt from the Blue podcast. We've put out one just a, several hours ago, which I'm, I'm happy to see that people have been looking at. But um, we're going to take a quick look back at the City Games against Southampton and Newcastle. Side by side, I think you'll probably agree that this is a perfect picture of our season and I'm not doing this alone this time I've got my buddy Ray from City Fan TV with me how are you doing Ray Hey bonjour uh, Mike comment ça va Ah ça va bien monsieur tell me a little bit about what you're doing at the moment I'm sat in France um we come for uh, we've got a bit of uh, work to do in France and so it's a bit of a work and a bit of a holiday sort of um you know lads can see family friends um, I think it's, we're a little bit more advanced than we are in the UK now, in, in, over here in France, in terms of uh, you know, they, they locked down earlier and harder, and uh, their cases are minuscule at the moment, and um, it feels like it's a lot more normal, and it feels like it, there's more reason to be norm, uh, in a normal situation than in the UK. A lot more people are wearing masks here, for instance. Uh, people are still very cautious. But you can see more, uh, in the few days I've been here, more and more people are, are now discarding the masks and going back to normal life. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what happens. And hopefully, you know, we don't get hit by a really bad second wave. Uh, I, I don't think we are going to personally. Um, if my, my, so my, my feelings are, uh, and then we can get back. We may even get to, to go to some games next season, which would be remarkable. Uh, and I think a lot of fans are hoping that we can do that. Well, you mentioned about normal ser normal service being resumed. Well, normal service has been resumed uh, for Manchester City, who have uh, crashed uh, Newcastle 5-0, of course. But since our last pod was the one, uh, the review against Liverpool with Emily and uh, Colin, there has been the game against Southampton too. And that would be the one I'd like to start with, Ray, because <laughs> these two these two games side by side, is like microcosmic of City's whole season. And I think the first place to start is that lineup. I'm just going to go through it because it is very interesting. Six changes. So you had Ederson, of course. Then you had um, the uh, much missed Cancelo. You had uh, Garcia, Laporte, Zinchenko, Bernardo Silva, Fernandinho, uh, David Silva, Riyad Mahrez, Gabriel Jesus and Sterling. So it was a very interesting uh, selection. Um, obviously, not starting with De Bruyne or Foden, who've been playing so well. They came on on the 59th minute, um, I'm reminded by the BBC here. But um, what do you think of this lineup? Do you think it's just necessary rotation because Pep's got his eye on bigger prizes? Yeah, I, I think this is the first time in this whole season that I predicted the lineup. Uh, I don't ever, it's very, it's impossible to second guess Pep, but on this occasion I did. Uh, I, I expected a lot of changes. I expected people like Kinsella to play, um, people, Mendy, and I thought uh, Laporte and um, um, Garcia would be given another run out as a pairing because if, if, if you, I think if you've been honest, there are, there would appear to be a best centre back pairing at the moment. Um, it feels like the most reliable one. Um, and I thought they needed another game in a short space of time to help bond their understanding, um, you know, uh, and, and carry on in that vein. I can see why KDB and Foden would rested because they need a rest. You can't play every three days when we have got bigger fish to fry. The Arsenal game at, at Wembley now is, t is looking huge uh, due to the upsurgence of their form. They're playing uh, pretty well, and uh, you know, some of them are getting their fans are getting quite bullish now. Uh, about this game, mm -hmm. um, so we got obviously that that's a bigger fish to fry the Champions League game. And in, in the league, it's 
it, you know, we were almost over the line and having second spotters being guaranteed ours uh, mathematically. Um, and so the focus has to be the FA Cup and the Champions League. So I, I wouldn't complain too much about the lineup. I always think whatever personnel, um, you know, take, um, take the field, we should be strong enough to be almost everybody. Some fascinating statistics um, from this game. Man City had 26 shots in this game and apparently that's their highest number in a Premier League match without scoring since March 2016 and that was uh, a tally that was recorded against uh, Manchester United mm. but um, it's uh, it's unbelievable how City did not score in this game and yeah. uh, once again um, a, a bit of a wonder goal I guess uh, did it for us and we couldn't get back in we knocked on that door mm. and we couldn't what do you put this down to it, the combination of things mike it always is it, you can't just say it's one thing um let's forget about our defensive issues for the minute uh, and, and ask ourselves why weren't we scoring um now you, some people will argue and i will too that gabriel jesus isn't the most consistent uh, of uh, center forwards um i think there's, there's also a combination you know we are not uh, what's the right way? We're not clinical. Um, we create a lot of chances, and I think sometimes players are just too. Sometimes they can be too casual. Now that's what it appears to me. But maybe they're calm and not nervous and relaxed, and maybe that helps them in other areas of the game. But when it comes to shooting in front of goal, there is there is some sort of problem. There's an issue. I don't know if it's 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 in between the ears or what it is. But we are not very good at, at taking enough of our chances. And in, in many games, I feel if we score first, we've got a chance to paste other teams. We've seen it this, uh, since the restart. You know, we've beaten Liverpool 4-0, Newcastle 5-0, Newcastle 2-0, Burnley 5-0, Arsenal 3-0. So when we've scored first, generally we've battered teams and it's been quite easy. But when teams have scored against us and they've got something to hold on to, We've struggled to break them down. Um, and it's, it is, even that Chelsea game, we look back to it, and yes, they did have a, a fair few chances, but so did we. And, uh, you know, we wasted it. That one that Raheem hit the post instead of passing to Gabby J for a tapping. You know, mistakes and, and, and decision making like that are costing us. So we had, at the Southampton game, we had loads of opportunities, loads of good moments. You've got to give Southampton credit. They came with the game plan, they pressed us high up the pitch. Yeah, they had two up front, which was a surprise. Newcastle tried to copy that uh, in the game where they got beat five. You know, we'll come to that later. But it showed that you can get at City. Um, and, and then they defended resolutely. They required um, the goalie um, to make plenty of very good saves. Lots of their defenders had to put their bodies on the line, blocking shots, throwing them, uh, themselves at shots. And, you know, we, once again, were a little bit wasteful with the good chances that we did have. Um, and, and that kind of sums up our season. And on the same night, Liverpool were playing Aston Villa. And Liverpool didn't play particularly well. And in fact, Villa could and should have uh, probably taken the lead. But Liverpool found a way late on to grind out a result. And they've done that many times this season when they've played poorly uh, for their normal uh, level. But they still um, managed to grind out a result somehow. They still managed to pick a win out of what looked like being a drab draw. Whereas City, we've not been able to do that. The fact that we've lost nine games this season, nine league games out of, at that point, it was 33. It was a ridiculous number to lose. More than United, more than several other teams. Um, I think it's more than as well than Arsenal. Um, and it's, it's a ridiculous number of games to lose for a reigning champion. So, uh, as I said, there's a lot of reasons but not scoring. If you're not going to score a goal, you're going to struggle to win games. I'll tell you what does seem to be one difference between Liverpool and City when it comes to the fact that we have obviously lost nine games as opposed to their two. Um, how many times have you seen in Liverpool matches a loss of concentration from someone in a key position resulting in a goal? Um, tell me about this Che Adams' goal, and how, oh. mu how much do you do you blame Zinchenko for this? <laughs> well, I said, um, I think Zinchenko takes 99% of the blame for this goal, 99%. And the other 1%, uh, I blame Zinchenko again, um, because 
what he did, uh, and I'll, just, uh, I'll describe it. We play, we, we normally have two centre backs, uh, and then the, as we go forward, our um, full backs can invert, come inside, or go down the line. So we had two centre backs, and a lot of the time, Southampton had two men forward chasing these centre backs. But we always had Edison to pass to, or somebody in midfield, or someone out wide. And they, they would put pressure. So if someone like a midfielder dropped back um, to take the ball off one of the centre backs, maybe Setan would push someone up. If the uh, if the full back got the ball out wide, they'd push somebody up there. So they would have two men uh, always up front, and then another man or two would come and help uh, to, to put that pressure on. And I think that stifled us. It, re it really did. But you know, it, it didn't put us under any pressure. The only pressure we had was if we made a mistake, if we shot ourselves in the foot. And along comes Mr. Zinchenko to do that. And if truth be told, um, he's not a left back. We know that. And he makes mistakes. And I would suggest um, he probably makes, on average, one glaring error per game. And believe me, uh, he made a glaring error this time. So we had two fullbacks, you know, waiting for the ball. Zinchenko, it was almost at the centre circle when um, he got the ball. Uh, Edison was well out of his goal, which is what you'd expect with Edison. Um, and he, Zinchenko, he tried to take a man on near the centre circle, uh, Armstronger it was, and he got dispossessed and the ball um, squirted away. Now, as soon as that happened, Edison started backpedalling and he got to the edge of the box and then I think he slowed down. He didn't you know, keep on backpedalling. I, I think trying to work out what his thought processes were, maybe he was thinking, right, it's about time I plant my feet and then I'll be able to move depending on what happens. Whereas if I'm if I'm still backpedaling and a shot comes in, it's going to be very difficult for me to change direction. So he, he slowed down and Che Adams came along and it, look, the ball landed perfectly for Adams. Uh, and also I think Zinchenko was probably looking at Armstrong thinking Armstrong can't get a good shot in the position he's in. But Che Adams was perfect and he just came running onto it and curled it uh, with his right foot from about 40, 45 yards over Edison and into the net. It was a well-taken goal from Che Adams. Um, uh, as I said, I don't, I don't really blame Edison that much. Uh, some people might want to, but we need Edison. Uh, you know, Edison plays a high line, and we've seen it a couple of times. I think maybe in the Southampton game as well, um, where he had to come out and dispossess the forward, um, and, and that's a regular thing for him. So, as I said, I won't blame him. But Zinchenko, you cannot take a risk. Maybe he thought that you know he waded up and he thought the risk was low, um, and he thought he was going to get past this guy. But why does why can't he just do the simple thing? The simple thing was to pass to Eric Garcia or Laporte, or even back all the way to Edison. That's a sensible thing. A regroup and then try and build again. So you know, there's there's no rhyme or reason for making that mistake, and we were punished. We just could not get back. And I, I said before the game, Southampton are not a bad team. You know, people just think about that 9-0 that Leicester beat them, 9-0 to St Mary's, and the fact that they were at the bottom and the manager might have left. And suddenly, Southampton has sat there in mid-table. And I, I said, they've got an outside, a very outside chance of getting the Europa League football. So don't write them off. And their form has been quite decent. Um, and yeah, but it, it was just a terrible goal to lose. The way we did it, um, to lose a game... It's so frustrating to lose a game from a mistake. That's really, really annoying because you know, time and time again, teams don't have to do anything special, really, to uh, break us down and to score a goal. And it's just not good enough for a team that wants to, that wanted to retain its title and that wants to challenge again next season. It's very interesting because Pep was philosophizing after the loss and he basically was at a loss. And I'm going to quote him here. He said, we cannot say that we're not a team who scores goals this season. We are leading in goals. We create a lot of chances. And we are a team who concede less chances. Yeah. No, no, no team has conceded as few chances as us. But we lost a lot of games. Now, isn't this interesting that you are conceding fewer chances in a game uh, than any, everyone else, but the opposition's conversion rate of the, of the of the few chances that you concede is incredible. So there's got to be some kind of explanation some, for that. Some people do medicine and say, you know, they, uh, talking to a Liverpool fan uh, about he was talking about expected goals, and it's not a metric that I'm particularly fond of. But he said, 
they look at the expected goals. They said you should be you know, you're scoring plenty, but you're letting in more than you than you should really. Uh, and I thought you know that's not rocket science. Um, you know what he was trying to say, but it, it's it's it, it's just really difficult uh, to get your head around. I mean this this I mean you'll probably know who made who I'm pinching this quote from, but. If you do the same thing again and again and again, and it doesn't work, generally you're doing the, basically you're doing something wrong. That would be Mr. Mr. Einstein, I think. Mr. Einstein. So whatever you're knocking your head again and again against the wall. You're doing the same approach. I mean, we know it's Pep's approach is. He would say we would say stubborn, and he would say no. I'm just trying to get be more excellent. But you're doing, and it's happened nine times this season. You're doing the same thing again and again and again. It's not working. So you can't just say the people who say, "Oh, we were unlucky." Sorry, I don't buy that. You cannot be unlucky nine times out of thirty-three games. You know, you cannot be unlucky over twenty-five percent of games. Nearly thirty percent of your games. Are you trying to tell me you've been unlucky twenty-seven, twenty-eight percent of games? You've just been unlucky. Yes, you can look at an, an individual game and say, yes, we were unlucky there. The goalkeeper played out of his skin. Um, the defenders played brilliantly well. We were profiglerate in front of goal, very wasteful or casual, and we made mistakes here and there and everywhere. But if you're doing it almost 30% of the time, 30% of your games, then there's something else wrong. And, and in fact, and in fact, look at the draws. I'd throw the draws into that as well because the, the three that stick in my mind with the three two two draws um, one was against i forgot all the teams was it palace newcastle and leicester i can't remember. no spurs sorry spurs throw them into the mix so that make, for me that's 12 games where you were unlucky out of 33 sorry that's more than one third of your games you're claiming just to be unlucky for me it shows there's something more fundamentally wrong you're not sticking that ball in the onion bag and another thing, I would love, I, I would love it as uh, as my mate Kevin Keegan would say. I would love it, absolutely love it, if I could go to a press conference and ask Pep, yeah, ask Pep, why are we playing with a, an invisible six foot four striker? Why are we doing that? You know, it's as if you got the the ghost of Edin Dzeko is on the pitch because we are putting in cross after <laughs> cross after cross to nobody. You know, when Sergio Guerra's there, he's five foot nine at, at best. I don't know how tall Gabby Jesus is, but what he's five foot ten, five foot eleven tops, I reckon. David Silva, he's about five foot eight, you know. Raheem Sterling's five foot seven. Bernardo Silva, Bernardo Silva's a midget as well, uh, if we're allowed to use that word, um, you know. But he's a midget gen. How about that? Uh, very chewy and sweet, that Bernardo Silva. But we've got we're a team of tiny players. Why are we putting high balls into the box? When sometimes we've only got one player there and five defenders, it's you know, it's 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 unlikely that you're going to win that way. And when Pep says well, we played really well, and I don't realise, you know, I I remember earlier in the season, I think it was very early, I might not have been long after the Spurs game, or you know, we'd we'd been struggling to uh, score goals um, partway through the season. I think Pep said he wanted to pick up win the second ball, the loose ball. Sorry, you know, that's that's horse manure, that comment. It is, because you're not, we're not, it's a pet team. You're not looking to pick up the second ball. The, you know, that's what Tony Poulis would be talking about. Or um, um, someone like um, Pardew, possibly. Or uh, Big Fat Sam, Sam Allardyce. You've got, to have, a, you've got to have a target man to get the second ball knocked down. <laughs> why, why are we looking to win the second ball? That's a lot of rubbish. That's not how City play. And if when we do go onto the onto the Newcastle game, let's we'll, we'll talk about you know the first couple of goals at least didn't come from long balls in the box. They came from the City uh, trademark tactic. Getting down the uh, the line, getting inside the uh, the fullback, pulling the ball back from the byline for someone to stroke it home. That's what City do. That's what you would see time and time again from the way David Silva would play, either with Zinchenko and Sterling or Sane or whoever's on the left. That's the triangles you'd see, especially on the left. And it's slightly different to the right because we'd use those triangles as well. But we'd also have KDB with his wonderful, wonderful right foot curling delicious balls into the box. So I just don't get it. And that's you know the question I would ask Pep more than anything else right now. If I could 
get into a press conference and say, Pep, why are you putting all these crosses in when we haven't got that big, tall um, striker? Are you preparing for next season when we will have a big, tall striker? Because, you know, I, I cannot see the rhyme or reason for doing it um, and picking up scraps. You know, I'm sorry, you know, that, that's probably one of the worst things I've ever heard in my life. It's funny that he's never been asked that question. Uh, I, I'm going to share your enthusiasm for... I think he has. Sam Lee might have asked him. And Pep said he didn't know. Uh, there was a game where we uh, we didn't win. Um, and I think we put in 20-odd crosses into the uh, box. Or maybe 30, even, even around 30. And, and, and I think Sam Lee had said that when we're struggling, we pump balls in the box for no reason um, when we haven't got a target man. And so it's an issue. And if you're going to still, and I'll go back to Mr. Einstein, because believe me, this isn't E equals MC squared, you know, um, or as someone might say, E equals Mc2. Um, and maybe Pep thinks it's Mc2 because you were still doing it. So we, we, we know it doesn't work, yet we keep on doing it. So there's definitely something wrong. And look, you, I don't have any issue calling out the manager or anybody if, because it's about our opinions, you know, we're, we're entitled to our opinions. Sometimes, like a broken clock, we might just be right once or twice. Um, so I think that's wrong. Hitting these hit and hook crosses is an absolute waste of time. Um, and if we're not learning from it, then, you know, I don't know what's the point of all this training in football. There was almost a, a terrible, sombre sense of inevitability after it, because after that goal went in, it was a fantastic goalkeeping performance from Alex McCarthy. Fernandinho hit the post. David Silva uh, header was saved by McCarthy. Gabriel Jesus um, forced several stops out of the goal. He really needs to adjust yeah. or calibrate the, the aim on, on that boot of his. But um, chance after chance after chance. Yeah, I, I'm not yeah. sure whether it was more whether they were more dominant in the first or in the second half. Southampton did, did get a couple of chances, but well, in that second half, we were all over them in that second half when we started, and I said it's inevitable that we score because we were just uh, you know it was just like we were swarming over them like bees um, around the, the the Queen. You know, we were all over them, and it, it, for me, it was it was just a matter of time. I think I said on my stream at the time. It's just a matter of time. We will. I said we will score. And then Pep has done something that he he's been doing since the restart, and I understand some of the reasons for it. But we were well on top, and then he takes off. Was it Sterling Gamares and brings on? Like uh, I, I might have got that wrong, but he, he brings on the effective players. Uh, bring takes them off. And he brings on Foden and um, KDB. Now you can argue that KDB and Foden are actually excellent players to bring on, but suddenly. That change messed up our team. And from being dominant, it became more even Stevens. And we weren't having as many, I don't believe, as many clear-cut chances as we were having earlier. And that, and being all over them, suddenly disappeared to a more disjointed game. And another thing, you know, when you have those water breaks, that helps to break the flow up as well. And I think we we suffer. And teams can, you know, get that little bit of a boost from having that one-minute break. And uh, regroup and say, you know, let's fight on a little bit longer. And, and as soon as KDB, I mean, KDB had a, and a I remember saying at the time, he had an abysmal game. It was horrible what he, the performance he put in, in, in the space of about 30 minutes. He must have hit at least, I reckon, 10 pot, uh, passes that were poor or crosses that hit the, you know, that, that were rubbish. Uh, it was incredible. I think someone on uh, after the stream said it was like he wasn't motivated for that. He just came on and he wasn't bothered. And you know that's a worry. And it's it's a, you know it shows the malaise in our team uh, uh, in the squad uh, throughout this season. We've not won more than three league games on the bounce, and I, I think that's <laughs> an amazing statistic. You know, yeah. um, if you look back in the previous two seasons, last season we won fourteen games on the bounce to win the league. Four in the last the last fourteen games, four of them, I think, four or five, we won one nil. We ground out results. Um, the season before, we got a run of eighteen games on the trot, and this season, the best we've managed is three. But I, I think, think you can see there's problems there. We we may possibly not be give, giving Southampton enough credit. Here's a um, quotation from Alan Shearer um, on BBC One, and he was saying that he that Hassan is a, is a canny manager, and he set them up to defend. 
second half and they defended like their lives depended on it. The mm. defenders and the goalkeeper were superb. Um, everyone did their bit. They got, they just got their bodies in the way and he concludes it was heroic defending. I so maybe we, we need to give a little bit of credit there. Oh no. Um, on the night I give Southampton plenty of credit. They did what they had to do. They came with a game plan, you know, press City high up top. As I said, um, those two men, we were not expecting it. Those two men uh, pressing and having a third, fourth, or even fifth come when they needed to, relying on yes, we're relying on our mistakes. There's no question about that because um, they were not going to beat us you know, going top to top. So they were, you know, they were very canny the way they did it, like you said. Um, uh, and but once they got, especially once they got that goal ahead, they defended like their lives mattered on not conceding. And, and look, you got to give them credit. If you get a, the thing is, if if you don't concede against a man, a dominant Manchester City side. It's a combination of things. You've got to have played blooming well not to have conceded. And you've got to have had a little bit of luck along the way. Southampton had it. Let them ride it. Let them get the points, you know. And, and you can't take it away from them that they do deserve a huge amount of credit for not um, being overly defensive by not playing a 5-4-1 formation uh, or a 4-5-1. By having some gumption and actually doing something different. And uh, that causes problems and other teams should take notes. Well, I think uh, one of the things you said exactly mirrors what Michael Richards said, that they scrapped like they were in the relegation yeah. battle. But <clears throat> uh, I, I don't know how much that we want to to say more about this game, except for the uh, fact that it was sandwiched in between two such different performances. Obviously, went to uh, the game... Uh, against Liverpool, slammed them 4-0, lost this game 1-0, and then, moving on, go to Newcastle, well, well, entertain Newcastle, and beat them 5-0. Just, this is total Jekyll and Hyde, and I think this is the thing that is driving City fans insane. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but it's it's one of those things, I, I say this quite regularly when I do pre previews with opposition fans, and they ask me for my score prediction, and I, I generally say, if we score first and score early, there's a good chance we'll batter you. And if we look at the games, I mean, uh, and when we did score, Liverpool, I think, I, I can't remember, we were 3-0 up at half-time. Burnley, we were 2 or 3-0 up at half-time. Um, um, and um, this game against Newcastle, you know, I think we were 2-0 up at half-time. So if we score early, and if we score first, I think we, we win games. And that, that's it. And the two games we've lost since the restart is obviously when the other team has scored first. We, and we've gifted them the goal as well. Because um, I think gifting goals, it, it puts a lot of pressure on you to uh, recover, maybe mentally and, and whatever. We're not uh, capable of uh, recovering from those, set, uh, those major setbacks. We haven't got, some people will still say, that leader in the team. We haven't got that Vincent company or Fabian Delft. Um, to you know, to jeer us along and to, to you know either kick us or drag us, you know, screaming through games and and get us over the line as Vincent Company I think has done. So we miss that leadership in and out, on and off the pitch from Vincent. Um, so it is get that goal and and and, you, and then we'll talk obviously the Newcastle game. I mean Newcastle were abject, abject. Once we'd you know we we had a first chance after three minutes with the Bill Maris cutting in uh, onto his left foot. And uh, hitting it straight at the keeper when I think he should have been just a little bit better. Um, and, and, you know, by, I think, was it the ninth minute we were ahead? Uh, and it was one of these triangles down the left hand side. Uh, I forget who passed to who, but it ended up, you know, a, a ball going down the line um, and it ended up getting uh, pulled back. And it was just a, a, a really good finish um, from Gabby. He opened his, his body up um, to, to slot it home. And it, it was it was an easy, easy uh, thing for him to do, but you know, um, but this was the problem with Newcastle. They were open time and time again, um, and, and the, you know, I'm, I'm now going through all the goals. But the second goal was uh, you know very very similar. And that sorry, that first goal was Cancelo to Fordham to Silva. I remember it on there, and the cross was to uh, Gabby Jesus who scored. After the 12 minutes, we had a long clearance from Edison. Maris tussled with the defender. He got the better of him, and then another weak shot at the keeper. And, and, and this was the theme of the game. We were just having, we were just steamrolling them, and Newcastle were becoming more and more defensive. They were giving up the ball very cheaply, 
Um, and it was totally opposite to Southampton. Southampton did not give that ball away without a fight. And Newcastle kept giving it to us, kept giving it to us. After 14 minutes, Mahrez nearly robbed his Algerian mate Bentaleb on the edge of the box. 16 minutes, Fordham weaves his way into the box, but he, he, he shoots wide. I think it got deflection, but he was, he was, he was not you know, giving us a corner. And then on 20 minutes, Silver passes to Foden. Beautifully witted pass inside the fullback to KDB, who was pointing where he wanted it. It was just perfect. And KDB cut the ball back, and that took out about four Newcastle players. Uh, Gabby Jesus was coming to the near post. I think he dragged at least a couple of defenders with him. Um, the ball came back, and Mara just slotted it into the corner. And, and basically, the 2-0 up, um, the game was done and dusted. And the first half just carried on like that. Chance after chance after chance, and and honestly, we were uh, we were wasteful again in front of goal, and that's an issue. You know, we could have easily been four or five nil up at half time, easily. If Ford had missed a couple of chances in the game, where I really think he should have scored both of them, Maris probably, I think, could have scored another goal. So you know, we we played really really well in that first half, and and the game was done and dusted. It's interesting, isn't it? Because uh, you use the word abject. Newcastle were so abject that not only did they play Gabby Jesus back into form and get him, <laughs> get him on the score sheet, but actually they actually gave John Stones quite a comfortable time of it. In fact, I think I read uh, in one particular report that um, Otamendi was his usual careless self and actually Stones look Im- looked imperious beside him. Um, so they even ushered uh, John Stones back into the fold um, yeah. with uh, with relative ease. Um, I don't know if you had your eye on him too much, but... Um, John Stones? Yeah, John Stones. Yeah, I mean, I, I, look, um, I've been uh, not disappointed with Stones, but disappointed with his progress at City over the last four seasons. I did a video on him recently uh, about his uh, issues at City. Um, you know, there's, there's talk that um, he's going to leave. There's talk that Pep uh, has had, I won't call, say, had enough of him, but I think his injuries have curtailed his progress at City. He's been here four seasons um, and he's had a reasonable number of games. He starts off all right. You know, in, in, in the first season with Pep, Stones, he uh, had 27 appearances. Um, the following season at Centurion uh, season, he had 18. And in that season, I think he started off really, really well. He got injured coming up to Christmas, I think. And he never came, seemed to come back properly, whether he came back too soon, whether he lost his confidence. Uh, I, I don't know whether he was worried about his injury. He was a different player when he came back. And then he struggled to play again uh, many, many games. The following season, last season, had 24 appearances, um, which was, once again, pretty decent. And I think Vincent Company said, uh, last season that I think Vincent played the first game then Stones and Laporte took over and, and company said he wasn't sure he would even get back into the team because he believed the future was Stones and Laporte um, and I think Rio Ferdinand referred to it last night when he, he said he talked to um, Vincent Company in the, uh, at West Ham and he asked him about uh, Stones you know whether because obviously Vincent plays with him day in day out and company seemed to say that he's, he, he's got everything that he needs to go to the top so, you know, I, I've been really disappointed. This season, Stones has only played 30, featured in 13 games. Uh, not many clean sheets uh, either. I think only three clean sheets. So, it, it, it's, his downward trend has been some, somewhat due to injuries as well. Same last season, he started really well. Then he tailed off after he was injured. This season, he's had problems. I think he has some, apparently some personal issues as well. That doesn't help, um, you know, some players. And, you know, it's like some people in life. Players are human. You know, uh, we, we have emo- they have emotional problems. We, you know, as, as normal people, let's say, have emotional problems as well. So he's not progressed the way we sh- we, he should have. He's been here four seasons. He's only 26. And that really hurts me because it's only 26. We could have had a top defender for another, let's say, six seasons, maybe even seven seasons. But he needs game time now. He needs to play, be playing a lot of games to get back to show the potential and start delivering on his potential. And if we get Cooley Barley, like um, it seems to be rumoured that we will get one or two centre backs, what? Where does that leave John Stones? Because John Stones will not be above Cooley Barley in the pecking order. He's not certainly not above uh, Laporte, so he's now third choice. Well, what if Eric Garcia stays in Eric Garcia's third choice because he's getting games now? Does that make Stones fourth choice? What if Otamendi stays? Is Stones fighting with Otamendi and Fernandinho for the fourth choice? 
it's not it's not going to help him. It's not going to help his career. Uh, and it feels like he's going to move on in the summer. That's what um, Pep seems to be intimating that you know we'll decide about Stones uh, in the summer. Yeah, there was in the past. I'm going to say this quickly, Mike. In the past, I think Pep said whilst Pep's here, John Stones is going to be here. Pep's not saying that now. He no, said he's there's something, there's something very different in the way that he's talking about uh, John Stones. Yeah. And um, I'd suggested in another little pod that I did that. Um, what they what City could do is bring in someone like Nathan Ake, and so you don't lose the homegrown um, contingent yeah. that is important. And there's a there's there's a player who's a lot more solid and perhaps a lot more suited. But um, yeah, it's interesting th- th- those two carbon copy goals. Those were the goals that City used to be scoring. You know, just with relentless um, consistency. Those cutbacks. Um, the first one from uh, Gabby J, and then. Um, Riyad Mahrez and, and, uh, Gabby J looked a little bit in live. And of course, it was him that drew him trying to shuffle through, drew that own goal for the, uh, yeah. for the, well, the third goal. I the, think. Thing is Mike, the thing is, Mike, he held up for me. He held onto that ball too long. Now, he should have shot when he was through. And instead, he was taking it further, trying to get past another man and another. And in the end, we were lucky we scored that goal. Um, you know, uh, Matt Ritchie hitting it against uh, Federico Fernandez and it looping in past Dubravka. Um, and if Matt Ritchie hadn't done that, I don't think Gabby J would have scored. So on one hand, we can say he had some good moments. Obviously, he scored a, a nicely well-taken goal. Uh, the second goal, he drew the defenders to the near post, which gave Riyad Mahrez a space. But, he, you know, he fluffed his lines on, on, on that, uh, I think, a very, very good chance. Once again, he was caught offside when he didn't need to be. Uh, he only lasted 60 minutes, I think, Pep. You know, he keeps up with this rotation, which you can't argue about. Um, but he hasn't shown me enough. And if he's gone eight or nine games, league games without scoring a goal, that's a huge concern for me. You know, we cannot have our main striker doing that. And then if, if Aguero's going to leave at the end of next season and Gabby Jay's going to take the mantle, we can't have a main striker that doesn't score for eight or nine games. Okay. Granted, he doesn't take free kicks and penalties, but you can't do that. And it wasn't too long ago. I think it was last season or the season before where he went about 18 games without scoring a goal. Yeah. You cannot have that from your, um, you know, frontline main striker. So Gabby Jay's got to look off his shoulders. And I think if a, if a decent bid comes in from him for, you know, for him this summer, it might have done if it wasn't for COVID-19. You know, he, he'll be gone. And I think we need to get somebody else, um, who's, just more clinical than Gabby Jesus and, and, and you know and the other some of the other attackers we've got. I think we can't let this uh, our commentary in this game uh, go past without mentioning uh, David Silva because that oh. free kick not only the free kick it was absolutely sublime but then of course mm. he, he rolled in uh, Raheem Sterling for the fifth yeah. um, right at the end. Uh, it's I, I don't think Indian summer is quite the right expression but. He's turning on the form at the right time just to, I mean, I could just see a wonderful uh, end to this season where mm. despite all of this uh, toing and throwing with the results that um, he just comes back into form just in time to win us the Champions League. Uh, that would be such a fitting end, wouldn't it? Oh, it'd, be, it'd be perfect. I mean, you're right. He's playing really, really well. You know, it's like having that break for him has rejuvenated him. He's, he seems to have a lot more energy. Maybe it's because we haven't seen David Silva play for three or four months uh, that we uh, have forgotten how good he really was. But he's been he's been sublime. He's been one of our best players since the restart. And I find it very difficult to leave him out of the team now. You know, I'm, I'm, and it's like, I want David Jesus, sorry, I want David Silva to play with KDB, but I also want Fordham to play. And I also want Mahrez and, and Sterling. You know, and actually you could see Pep trying uh, Sterling up front when he took Gabby J off. But David Silva, great goal. You know, there was there were a few people worthy candidates to take that uh, free kick. It was Riyad Mahrez was hovering there, KDB. But David Silva took that. Uh, the wall was pathetic. Um, you know, it, there was already a gap there, and then when they jumped, the gap uh, increased. And David Silva didn't even hit it hit it into the corner. And I don't understand why the the goal it was kind of behind the the wall. It was it was a crazy defensive situation but look you can't take anything away from Silva put it in in the goal uh, wonderful goal uh, and then he, he, he rounded off the game with a, another assist was it his 10th assist of the season 92nd in uh, all games uh, absolutely f- uh, fantastic 
Um, you know, that he's achieved um, that stat. And it's a shame he won't get to 100. He's not going to get eight assists in the next four games. Uh, but 90, 92 assists is, is quite remarkable, remarkable for 10 seasons. And it's worth adding that KDB has got his 18th assist of the season. He's two off um, Thierry Henry's record. To be honest, he could have, in that Newcastle game, I think KDB would be disappointed he didn't get another three or four assists because there were plenty of opportunities for us to score. Um, but, yeah. see, well, it, you, you, that, you, you mentioned statistics there, but yeah. uh, let me hit you with a couple of other really staggering ones. So the the less staggering one is that uh, when Riyad Mahrez scored, then City became the first English top flight side to have five different players score at least 10 goals in a yep. single season since Everton in 84-85. That's Sterling, De Bruyne, Aguero, Jesus and Mahrez. But here's the the one that really, you know, uh, is is amazing. 92.7. Um, 93.7 actually. Um, City oh, completed shit. 787 of their 840 passes. So that's a pass completion rate of 93.7%, the highest passing accuracy on record since statistics were collected in the 2003-2004 season. I think the other one that I, I heard was that City had more shots on goal, um, no, I think I've got that. I, I think I've got that wrong. That's that's going back to the Southampton game where mm. City had actually more shots on goal than Leicester had when they beat them nine nil. So that's actually going back to the previous game. But um, was it Dubravka? Was it uh, the Newcastle goalkeeper Dubravka had the most touches of a Newcastle player? Is it that one? <laughs> yes, I think. Oh, I, Tommy I, Doyle. Tommy Doyle had. He came on for the last 15, 16 minutes. And he probably had more. I have not seen the stats, but I, I, I reckon he had more completed passes than a fair few of the Newcastle players. In his I, I know a couple, a couple more just quite well, interesting ones here is that um, this just shows you about David Silva. He's now reached 10 plus assists in all competitions in all 10 of his yes. seasons with Man City. Um, and, uh, another one, just, just to throw a spanner in the works of our sort of analysis of the future of Gabriel Jesus. Uh, did you know that City have won 30 out of the 31 Premier League matches when he scored and they drew the other one? So, no, it's a good record. Uh, but, but then Mike, Mike. I, I know, I know, I know. What I'll ask you the question, uh, which you won't know. How many of those games have we won 1 0 when Gabby Jesus has scored? That's something I don't know. That's you know, I've, I've got a suspicion, it's only a suspicion, that Gabriel Jesus is a flat track bully. Well, we remember those games against, uh, was it teams like um, Northampton and. Various other. Uh, you didn't know that. We, we played um, Burton Albion. I think we right. scored yeah. a couple or three there. So some of his games that you know he's got a good return, but you know if 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 you take out, if you strip out the cup games from Gabriel Jesus's record, I think that would probably um, give you know it, it would be an interesting reading. I, I don't think a lot. Of, don't get me wrong. Man, he's not. He's not rubbish. Gabriel Jesus is, is certainly not rubbish. But I think if you strip um, the cup games away from his record, you know, he's yeah. played 98, he's had 98 appearances, he scored 38 goals. You could argue that, he, so his conversion rate is about um, two goals in every five games. Here's a pop quiz question for you. The term flat, tap, flat track bully that you uh, delighted in using there was first coined in, uh, in, in, in Britain, really. Um, to comment upon a certain English test batsman who had the habit of scoring centuries against um, lower opposition. Can you name that man? No I chance. Bet, I, I bet you can't. <laughs> yeah, I, would, I would suggest it's Graham Hick. Graham Hick is the one. Absolutely. Well done. So, yeah, he scored an unbelievable uh, number of centuries on those flat pitches against the... Uh, uh, teams that couldn't swing the ball. Yeah, I'm going to give you Gabby Jesus' stats now. So he came in the 2016-17 season in, in January. Ten games, seven goals. It, mm -hmm. it looked very promising. Following season, 29 appearances, 13 goals. Still pretty decent, but we did score 106 goals that season. That can't be forgotten. Following season, 29 games, seven goals. That's last season. Seven goals, seven league goals in 29 appearances. Um, not great. 
this season, 11 goals in 30 appearances. It's not proficient enough. And yes, you can argue he's not playing those 30 appearances. Some of them might only be 10 or 15, 20 minutes. Uh, so it's a bit harsh on him. And, and my stats don't show me uh, how many minutes he's played. Um, but it's not enough for me. 30 appearances, 11 goals. You know, a top striker. And look, Gabby Jesus at some point has got to be a, a top striker. You know, if, if, you, if he wants to get there to be a top striker, he's going to have to do better. Off the top of my head, when Sergio Aguero, when we had that, uh, the um, Centurion season, Sergio Aguero played, I think he played in either 22, no, I think 25 games. He had 25 appearances. He scored 21 goals in um, uh, 25 appearances. And I think he got six or seven or nine assists as well. So, you know, that's the level of a, of a top striker. Gabriel Jesus, at the age of, he's 23. So you can, you can say, you know, he's 20, I could say he's only 23. Um, he's still got a long way to go, but he's not getting it. Let's put it another way. I saw Aguero's debut and we see Gabby J, Jesus now. I don't think Gabby Jesus is a patch on Aguero when Aguero joined us. Right, I mean, I, it's very, very difficult to make that comparison. I mean, on his debut, it was, it was a brace he scored. Yeah. The two brilliant, yeah. brilliant goals. But yeah, I think I, I think we'll give Gabby J a break um, from our searing commentary uh, as we um, look forward. Now, there's some good news I've uh, I've seen, and that is that um, City are going to get to host Real Madrid at the Etihad Stadium in the second leg. That was. It popped up three or four hours ago, so I didn't know that. So that's good news. I think that I think that was pre predicted uh, a yeah. while ago. It would have been yeah. extremely difficult for UEFA not to play it in uh, in Manchester. Uh, I think I said this. Couple, two Although I wouldn't, I wouldn't put it past them. You know, um, I wouldn't put it past them. But I, I think it got to the stage where the UK government has said there's no quarantine for top level sport. So uh -huh. you know what? You know, the only argument UEFA have got. Uh, and, and if they've gone down this route, we know that they're even more corrupt and bent um, than ever. The only argument could be, uh, from Madrid's point of view and anybody else, uh, and, and UEFA, is that the incidence of COVID-19 is too high in the UK. Um, but it's quite low, you know, com relatively speaking, uh, to what incidents were around Europe when UEFA were insisting teams go to play games, when Italy had, uh, were already in caught in a crisis and UEFA were insisting Getafe went to play uh, in, I think they were playing in uh, Milan, um, and they were insisting that Roma flew out to Sevilla for a game. So when the situation was, I think, becoming much more dire and uh, more concerning um, for everybody, and UEFA wanted these games to be to go ahead in the right places. So, I, I would uh, if UEFA had not allowed this to be played in Manchester, when the incidence of COVID nineteen has, has dropped to a, a, a still a, high, a too high level for me, but it, it's a more acceptable level. And top sports are allowed in, and almost everything is open as normal in the UK. Then how could UEFA say no to that? And as I said, if they said no, it would have just shown the bias and and, and the. Uh, we know they're corrupt, um, and they can sue me on that if they want. There's no libel involved, uh, you know. Um, but um, you know, it would have just shown them up in in in, in another bad light we, we, that we we know they are. So uh, I think there was only one decision, and it, it's the right decision. Well, I think it's probably time to bring this um, pod uh, to the end for another episode. Looking forward. This is what we've got lined up, guys, on the on Saturday. Obviously, um, an away game against Brighton, followed on the Wednesday, uh, next Wednesday, with a home game against Bournemouth. Mm. Two two games that are looking increasingly meaningless, but um, obviously good for um, squad rotation, good for fitness. Before the FA Cup semi-final on the 18th of July, Saturday, the 18th of July, against uh, Arsenal, who we have got quite a good record against. Arsenal um, doing very well at the moment. Well, they are, they are, but they don't tend to do very well against uh, Man City. And then finally, on the 21st of July, bringing the Premier League season to an end is uh, an away game at Watford. And of course... No, I think we've got Norwich as well, mate. We've got Norwich on the last we, day of the season. Is it Norwich on the last day? Norwich on the last day of the season. So yeah. there's, a, there's a game after the Watford one. Okay. 
Yeah, yeah. So Norwich was always the last game. The, the, obviously, things have been mixed up a bit because of the FA Cup. The, the yeah. one thing, I think basically City need three more points to virtually guarantee uh, second spot. We're nine points ahead of Chelsea. Our goal difference is 35 goals better than uh, Chelsea. So basically, one more win will get a second spot. So very little to play for in the league. But there is something to, you know, you've got to keep players fit, match fit, in form. Um, you can't just say, right, it's four games to go, we're not going to play anybody. But I think because we've got so many games, you know, we focus on the FA Cup, I think, next. Uh, and it could just be that, for me anyway, I'd be focusing on uh, the weekend's game and saying, right, this weekend, we put our best team out this weekend and rest our first team midweek and bring them back for the Arsenal game. Uh, so they get, they, you know, they, they're playing this weekend, keeps them in form, keeps them fit, match fit. Uh, and we'll see. We saw Tommy Doyle play against Newcastle, like getting his home de- debut against Newcastle for about 15 minutes. And I think there's an outside chance that the game against, I suspect, Bournemouth, I think it's going to be the game against Bournemouth, which is the midweek game, yep. is that Bournemouth are absolutely diabolical at the moment. They, they look like they deserve to go down. Um, now, I think that's a game for City, not, not to be, uh, you know, unfair on the competition. But I think that's a game that we could see. I would love to see. If we're not going to start with Eric Garcia at Wembley, and Eric Garcia or Taylor Howard Bellis, it'd be nice to see Taylor Howard Bellis have a run out. It'd be nice to see um, Fordham rested. Tommy Dawn to have a start. Jaden nice Braff, to... maybe. Well, that's something to say. Jaden Braff and Cole Palmer. It'd be nice to see three or four. Maybe not play the full game or start the game, but at least a couple of kids at the start. And if we're winning the game, which we should be, gets Bournemouth, no disrespect, but they've let in 59 goals this season. They've lost four out of the last five games. They've been diabolical. Um, I think, you know, there's a good chance we can start with two or three kids and finish maybe with another couple of kids. And we've still got a good team. You know, we could be, for that Bournemouth game, throwing Bravo into the mix, uh, starting with Cancelo, Taylor Howard, Bellis, Sinchenko, Fernandinho at DM. Still, is it, and, you know, Bernardo Silva is one of the two attacking midfielders. This is still a pretty good um, lineup. You know, Gabby J down the middle, um, Bernardo Silva can start. We've still got a good lineup. There's no question about that. So it's still, it, for me, it, there might be nothing meaningless games, but I think to any of the, the run out, it, it is meaningful. And I think it's important to give people like Cole Palmer, Jaden Braff uh, a run out because we're seeing, uh, I think we should mention it, that Eric Garcia. You know, there's a rumour that he wants out and wants to go back to Barcelona. And one of the reasons, you know, I don't know all the reasons, but obviously Barcelona is his boy, the club. He trained at the Messiah before he came to City uh, at the age of 17. But he's not played enough. He's not played enough. He can't, you know, there's a difference between Foden and Garcia. Foden is a Manchester lad, yeah? He's not going to leave City in a hurry. Same as Harry Kane won't leave Spurs, even if they're not winning anything. And he's been there you know, probably too long, but Foden will accept that he's a bit part player until he's ready. Garcia won. Sancho didn't. Ravi Matondo didn't. Um, and Brahim Diaz, well, he went back to Real Madrid. But other players are not going to accept being a bit part player like um, uh, um, Phil Foden did for a couple of seasons. So I think it's imperative that we give people like Jaden Braff, people like Paul Palmer, some minutes and that might be, I, I suggested this, that might be one of the reasons why Eric Garcia started the game against Arsenal because City are worried that he's not signed a new contract. He's only got one year left and he could be, could be going back to Barcelona. So that might be just pushing them to play him a little bit more um, because we can't afford to lose him. You know, if, if he was left in the summer, we might only get 10 million quid for him when he's worth... Interesting, my books, 30, 40 million quid. Well, uh, there are some exciting times ahead. Uh, luckily, um, there's still a lot to happen for City yeah. before the season is over. We're going to be excited about three things, in my opinion. Uh, obviously, the FA Cup um, to try to get to the final t- to win it again. The Champions League is the other one. But the third yeah. thing, the third thing is a different kind of excitement. I, I would think it would be nervous. Uh, yeah. This anticipation of that, of course, is coming up on Monday with the release of the cast decision. Now, Ray, if you mm-hmm. had to put your house on what you think the result of this decision <laughs> process will be, I mean, could you could you make that bet? Is it is it fifty fifty? What do you think? Well, this I think this this still the I still the, think there's still three options. 
There's the upholding of the two-game ban, a two-year ban, sorry. There's a reduction to one year, and there's a total uh, uh, exoneration, absolvement of any blame um, and, and any punishment. So uh, these three decisions that could be made, honestly, I, I couldn't tell you, Mike. You know, um, there's nothing really been anything leaked. And it, it look, if someone said to me, City bent the rules to try and squeeze things through, I, I can accept that. I, I can accept City could have done that. If someone says to me, um, UEFA have been, uh, have been bending the rules because they're under pressure from uh, La Liga and uh, Senor Tebas uh, and uh, other clubs and, and you know, in, in the G14 or whatever it is, in, in, in the top 14 clubs or 16, whatever it, they call themselves, this, this self-appointed elite. I could believe that too. You know, I, I'm, I'm open for anything because um, I'm pretty sure all clubs don't set out to break the rules, but they send out to take advantage of any uh, opportunity to make the rules a little bit more malleable and pliable and, and, and utilise them uh, in the best way that they seem fit and to push them as much as they can without breaking them. Now, you know, uh, I think everybody's at it. Everybody's at it. Um, and they've got to be. They've got to try and, and, and get around this FFP uh, by fair meals, fair means, not foul. You know, unless you're PSG, they don't really care uh, how, how they do it. So, you know, as I said, it, it's a really difficult one. And if City are found to, um, you know, if we, we don't get totally exonerated, then I think we've got, to, as fans, we've got to accept it. Um, and I think we'll. But if the club then go out to bat again and say we'll take this further, then the fans will still be on the club side. But I think they'll lose some um, fan backing if uh, Cass, who are pretty much independent, certainly not uh, anything like uh, UEFA's uh, mess. Um, uh, and I, I think you know, we, we, we have to accept what Cass say and say that if we are, if they uphold the ban or reduce it to one year, then City must have done something wrong. I, I tell you one thing, I think it's going to be very, very tempting for a lot of City fans if they get exonerated and the two-year ban prospect disappears into the horizon. I think a lot oh. of people, a lot of people, will be unblocking Miguel, Miguel Delaney and um, tuning into the the Transfer Window podcast well, by Duncan Castles <laughs> just to just to hear just to hear, hear the tears, just to hear the. The tears. thing is, the thing is, one of the reasons I don't say anything, um, you know, uh, about this at all is my uh, fear that we'll get some sort of punishment. And uh, I don't want to, you know, come out all guns blazing, uh, throwing my haymakers at people before the um, judgment is out. If, if, as I said, if we get done, uh, we take it. We have to take it on the chin and accept that more than likely City have uh, gone a little bit too far with the rules. But I think we'll wait until the actual details of the um, verdict come out, which I think might not be in July, might even be in August, no. uh, before we can, you know feel more comfortable one way or the other to say yes City really have done something wrong um, and I think then that's when evidence will come out and we will have a you know we have some right now we've got nothing to, to grasp onto we've got the, the you know the schmucks that are Der Spiegel um, utilising uh, emails that were stolen some taken out of context City uh, don't really say that they were um, not accurate in, in terms of they, didn't, they don't exist They've not, I don't think, argued against the content. Um, they've argued that they were obtained illegally, I think, and taken out of context. But we'll find out a lot more um, next week. And I think we'll find out an even lot more when um, the actual details come out, I think, in August. Well, thank you very much for listening, guys. We hope you've enjoyed it. It's time to knock this particular pod on the head. I've got... Uh, probably about 30 uh, young Koreans um, who are lined up for a two-hour Zoom lesson learning about the intricacies of um, formality in uh, academic writing. I'm sure that they're as excited about that as I am, but I think we probably need to um, to, to just uh, draw things to a head here. And before we do that, of course, we're going to thank our fabulous guest, um, Ray Bubbles from City Fan TV. Uh, it's been very, very enjoyable. It's been very effusive. I think that everyone is now in absolutely no doubt about your opinions about those two games and also these other matters that we mentioned. So thank you so much, Ray, for coming on. Always a pleasure, Mike. 
Thank you so much. Hopefully we'll have Colin Savage back to uh, share the load in the next podcast, but we'll leave it here for now and uh, finish off as we always do by saying, have one on us, guys, and up those blues. Manchester City is still alive here. Balotelli. 